It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter, at PlayLikeAJet1. And as you know, it is draft time, so we are talking to some of the people that follow the draft year-round and are experts on the entire process. So went out and got us one of the best. He, of course, is an analyst for the Draft Network and also writes for Bleeding Green, does a whole bunch of pods for the BGN Radio Network, Mr. Benjamin Solak. Benjamin, how are you, sir? I'm well today, Scott. I appreciate you having me on, man. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you can make the time to come on and talk some draft. First thing I wanted to ask you about, and this is the first question that I'm asking everybody, looks like the Jets are going to go tackle at 11 if one's available, and I'm going to get into it with you whether or not you think one will be available. But first, talk to me about the four tackles. What do you think of them? Yeah, no, we've got ourselves a unique class in terms of the top of the draft starting ability most times even when the tackle class is talented we're not talking about guys that you're comfortable starting in week one tackle tends to have a pretty steep learning curve from the uh, college level to the nsl level in alabama tackle jedrick wills and georgia tackle andrew thomas you know, two guys who I think are uniquely suited to immediately step in and, and perform in week one and that's my number three and number four overall player on my board Wills at one and, and Thomas at two because those guys have elite physical tools, elite technique, and then they put everything on their college tape, right? You tell them to do everything an NFL team allows them to do. Variety of sets, variety of different approaches and techniques against uh, different alignments of pass rushers. And then in the running game, they, they have the full gamut of concepts and responsibilities, pulling, trapping, kicking down, what have you. So I love what you get from those two. Tristan Wirfs and Mackay Beckton, there's nothing wrong with their evaluation. It's just in Iowa – Tristan Wirfs got to come downhill a lot more than necessarily he's going to get to at the college level. And Mackay Becton in Louisville, Scott Satterfield offense, he's got a lot more space than he's probably going to be afforded at the NFL level now. For a team like the Jets, Adam Gates with a, a West Coast offense, there's not a single tackle that I think they should rule out. There's not a single tackle who won't do what they're going to ask them to do. If anyone on the board at four, you got yourself a day one high caliber, should be able to handle the opposite team's best pass rusher, offensive tackle, which is not regular for any old draft class. So you think that if any of the four are on the board at 11, the Jets should take them. Do you think that any of them will be on the board at 11? I think you got a shot. And, and, and a lot of it is, is going to be interesting off of what Cleveland does. Cleveland having added uh, one pick previous uh, at 10 overall. They have Jack Conklin in free agency on a three-year deal. Uh, and he's likely going to slot into their right tackle spot. But they probably still need themselves a starting left tackle. Mackay back uh, uh, the Cardinals at eight as well. A team that's interested in Mackay back in the tackle out of Louisville could elect to go Derek Brown, Jamal Kinlaw. They desperately need the defense help. If one of Jeffrey Akuda is on the board or, or Isaiah Simmons, maybe they go there. But offensive tackle is still a pretty significant position of need there. So I think 
if there is a tackle left, he will be on the Jets' board. He will be the Jets' pick. And I would be surprised if more than four tackles make it beyond uh, 11. That would surprise me. I think that the Jets will probably make the last tackle pick if they're able to get a tackle at that position. I don't expect this to happen, but let's just say Jeffrey Okuda drops to 11. I have seen some mock drafts suggesting he could get to 7 or 8. If somehow he gets to 11, is that something that Joe Douglas would just not be able to pass up? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if, if Jeffrey Okuda made it to 11, 10 GMs did the wrong thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, this is a, a, a blue-chip player. This is the Ohio State cornerback of Ohio State cornerback. This is a different cat. And so what would you have with Jeffrey Akuda in terms of the ability to take away an opposing team's best receiver for a full game, shadowing him across the field, playing in different alignments, playing in different techniques from the slot and out wide. There's nothing he's incapable of doing. And for a defensive coordinator that's willing to let him be like a Jalen Ramsey and just do whatever he needs to do to cover a guy, that's going to be delightful. And then the ball production is going to be great. He's going to get short fields for your offenses. He's going to get your defense off the field on third down. He's going to do the whole world for you. There's a, a, a special player. And, and, you know, I've got high grades on Wills, high grades on Thomas, like I said, but, but Akuda is a blue chip player. And so to me that, especially at a position with the Jets, they try with Tremaine Johnson. They didn't get it right. You know, obviously they bring back Poole, but Poole's more of a nickel guy. They need an outside corner, probably as bad as they need to tackle and as bad as they need to match. There's a lot of holes on the roster. Akuda's the best player of the lot, so I would certainly grab him. If the four tackles are gone, would you consider Clavon Chase on at 11? Honestly, like I think that that might where might might be where we end up, right? We might see uh, Akuda off the board, Simmons off the board, and God forbid, all some tackles off the board. At which point, yeah, we're talking about a generally unproductive pass rusher at eleven overall. It's a steep climb, right? It's a gamble. This is a high risk, high reward pick for a team like the Jets who have so many needs, right? Like I think you could go for a lot safer player at wide receiver, Henry Ruggs, C.D. Lamb, who have a really high floor, and you know they're going to produce and be comfortable knowing you've got a contributor because this Jets roster is multiple drafts away from competing. You don't necessarily want to be spending a first-round pick on a super high-risk, high-reward player. I would lean wanting to go in a more comfortable, secure, I know this player is going to help my team direction. With that said, the other side of the coin is what Caleb on Chase on could be, which is you know a, a dominant two-digit sack per year rusher in the NFL. I mean, all the physical tools are there, and you saw the tape really start to realize that during his final season at LSU. He's not all the way there. And so you really do have to trust your defensive line coach and your defensive coordinator. You have to sit down and say, listen, if I take this kid at 11, what are you going to do to get him to the point where he'll be worth that pick? What will it look like? What's the procedure? Do you believe that he'll be able to take the coaching like that? So Chason is a big gamble. I think that in terms of realistic scenarios, he's going to be one of the top guys left on the Jets board. If they took it, I wouldn't hate the pick at all. He's got that level of talent, but it is a risky selection. So based on what you're saying, it sounds like if the four tackles were gone, if you were the one making the pick, it would be Judy or Lamb. Is that right? That's tricky. In such a, a big and talented wide receiver class, you don't necessarily want to be spending 11 overall on a starting wideout when you could go and you could get one you know, at a... 39 or 40 or whatever it is that their next upcoming pick is 43. The, the Jets have, like I've been saying, so many holes, and the edge class isn't good. I think a lot of chasing versus the top wide receiver on your board is going to come down to number one, how do you grade out rounds two and rounds three at those respective positions in the draft? And then also, what, what do you have in terms of your coaching staffs? How comfortable are you knowing that 
Adam Gase is going to be there next year because if you're not even sure Adam Gase is the head coach next year, do you want him influencing uh, the pick at wide receiver? Do you want him saying, no, we need CeeDee Lamb, we can't take Jerry Judy, Lamb fits my offense, then next year Adam Gase's offense isn't even there anymore, right? And so there's so many factors that go into parsing that fine of a hair. It's, it's a tough conversation. Like I say, right now I think if I'm Joe Douglas, I want to get myself somebody I'm positive as a contributor in the first round. So I would probably lean towards one of the wide receivers over Chasen, but I could be pretty easily swayed because there's a lot that goes into that decision. Let's move past the 11th pick. Let's say the Jets don't get a tackle at number 11. There are other options for them later, whether it's in other rounds or trading down or trading back up into the first round. You've got Austin Jackson from USC, Josh Jones from Houston. There are several others that could be available that could eventually develop into starters. What are your thoughts on these guys? Who do you like and what do you think could be realistic options for the Jets? Yeah, I think the guy to watch for is Lucas Yang at TCU. Yang play right tackle uh, for the Horned Frogs. Not something the Jets are going to be too concerned about because they need starters pretty much everywhere on the offensive line. And I know they added guys, and you know you bring in Jermaine Effetti and what have you to probably be your right tackle. And Yang can kick over to the left, and we'll see if he can win a starting job in camp. What's really exciting about Yang is that the 2018 film was dominant, and then at the end of the 2018 season, he had a hip injury. 2019, he rushed back into playing. He was never fully healthy for the first half the year eventually they benched him they're like we don't you know he's like i'm taking this off i'm going to the the draft next year i'm not trying to get further hurt he comes into indianapolis he gets full cleared on his medicals and also in during his combine uh availability and, and what he's told teams is with my hip pain in 2019 i couldn't even like pass that i couldn't get back into my kick step i had to change my technique to to eat, like alleviate the pain i was trying to play with so if we take the 2019 film which wasn't great it wasn't bad but it wasn't great and we say, okay, he was banged up during that. If he's 100% healthy and it looks like 2018 does, this is a tier one tackle. This is a guy who should be going in the first round above Josh Jones and above Austin Jackson. So Yang is the guy that I look for in the early second round. I think Jackson's probably going to go in that area, even though it's a, about a round too early. Josh Jones is probably going to go in the bottom of the first round, even though that's a round too early. Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State is the other one to watch in that range. Uh, Prince Tegelwinogo, if he gets drafted that high, it's a product of his elite athletic ability. The problem is Tego Winogo, uh, given his knee injury, didn't test at the combine and only did partial testing at his pro day. Ezra Cleveland at Boise did everything at the combine, and he was one of the best spark athletes we've ever seen at the offensive tackle position. He, well, I know one team source, like you know, they gave it to NFL Network that on the way that they grade offensive tackle athleticism, he's the best grader ever that they've had. Period. So we're talking about an elite athlete at the tackle position. Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State would be the other I would watch early round two. But my guy's Lucas Yang. What about the interior line? Because the Jets, as you said, need to be getting guys all over the line. Even the guys that they sign, most of them are placeholders now, so they need long-term solutions. You've got players like Cesar Ruiz. You've got Lloyd Cushenberry, Nick Harris, Matt Hennessy, who's become a popular name just because his brother Thomas Hennessy is the long snapper here for the Jets. Talk to me a little bit about some of the interior offensive line options and what you think could be attractive options for the Jets, maybe in rounds two through four. Yeah, so when I when I look at a team like the Jets, which has basically reloaded the entire line, besides I believe Alex Lewis was there last year, if memory serves, mm-hmm. I, I, I go and I go, I look for guys who I think can start at multiple positions because I want to bring seven or eight bodies into camp and I want the best five to win at five spots and then I want their backups to be able to play multiple spots. So I'm going to bring in guys who I think have center guard versatility or even guard tackle versatility. Robert Hunt out of Louisiana Lafayette is a mauler. He's a physical dude. He's humongous. He played right tackle 
for the Raging Cajuns. He projects in at guard at the NFL level. That's the guy that I'm targeting in the second round. A uh, groin injury at the end of last season, wasn't able to participate in the pre-draft process, but his game isn't predicated on being quick or explosive. It's predicated on the power he brings in his hand or the anchor he brings in pass protection. He can fight for one of your starting guard jobs and backup tackle in a pinch if you need it. Matt Hennessy, obviously, like you said, a popular name because of the connection. Players like Hennessy, Nick Harris, given their size, really are limited to the center position. If you want to go after that, that's totally fine. Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan now is guard center. He started at both spots for the Wolverines across the course of his career at Michigan. He and Natana Moody out of Fresno State are two guys who have really good center-to-guard versatility. They can snap in a pinch. Probably you want them starting a guard for you. Those are the three that I would target on the interior because of the versatility. It allows me to bring out a lot more camp battles, shuffle guys around in the preseason, and then I can figure out my best starting five on the fly because I have so many new bodies in at the offensive line. Benjamin, we talked wide receiver before when we spoke about Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb, so let's get a little more into the weeds at the position because I don't think the Jets are going to pick a receiver at 11, and even if they do, they'll probably double up. Now, I think they're probably going to take receivers twice somewhere between rounds two and four, and there seem to be a lot of attractive options. As we know, Daniel Jeremiah said that he's got 27 wide receivers graded in the first three rounds, which is absolutely remarkable. So ton of options here. You've got Brandon Ayuk. You've got Jalen Rieger, who's my personal favorite. LaVisca Chenault. Michael Pittman Jr.'s name has come up because of his connection to Sam Darnold. T. Higgins, Denzel Mims. So many of these guys. Talk to me about the receiver class and who you think could be realistic options for the Jets in rounds two through four, who you think might fit the Gase offense best too. Yeah, so we've got ourselves a, a receiver class that's historic in terms of its strength. When we talk about strength at a position group in the NFL draft, sometimes we're talking about the top-end talent being super good, and sometimes we're talking about the depth being super good. In the case of the 2020 wide receiver class, we're talking about both, right? So you have four or five guys who are potentially going to be first-rounders, and those top three, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, all seem like they're going to be real hits at the NFL level. And then as with like the eight or nine games that you brought up, uh, eight or nine names, excuse me, we clearly have a ton of depth. When I look at the Jets' depth chart right now, and I know that we just had the addition of Rashad Perriman, uh, we obviously have Quincy and Nunwa hopefully returning from injury, and Jamison Crowder. I'm looking for my outside X receiver. Nunwa obviously has that size. He's at his best operating from the big slot, in my opinion. Crowder obviously is a slot guy. Perriman's a field stretcher. I know that we're hoping maybe Josh Dawson becomes that guy we can ever get in Washington, so it's it's concerning on a monthly basis. So I'm looking for that X receiver, and I'm thinking about what Alshon Jeffrey used to do for Adam Gates back when Gates was coordinating offenses in Chicago. That's why I start leaning towards maybe a Denzel Mims in round two, who I think is an X at the NFL level, or a Michael Pittman Jr. at a USC, like you said, the Sam Darnold connection in round three. Those are guys that I like playing on the outside, and I think that they have good uh, contested catchability above the rim. They adjust to the ball nicely in the air. They have quality footwork. and They're, they're consistent enough players that even though they're not round one pick, they should be able to start at X for you. You do also have to wonder, okay, Robbie Anderson was, was uh, let walk at free agency. Rashad Perriman only on that one-year deal. We do have to make sure we pay at least some attention to the, the need for speed on the wide receiver core in that field stretcher in case we don't keep uh, long-term uh, Rashad Perriman on the roster, in which case I think Donovan Peoples-Jones is a super explosive player. I feel uh, similarly as you do with Jalen Rager, who I think 
He's running faster times at his pro day now that he's cut some weight. Devin Duvernay out of Texas. Those are your speed stretching options. Also, like you said, between round two and round four where they can potentially double dip. So I'm looking at X receivers in the Alshon Jeffrey mold, and I'm also looking at speed in case I don't think Rashad Perriman's hanging around. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Benjamin, one of the problems with Joe Douglas's priorities this offseason is that there's so many of them because there's so many spots that needed to be fixed and key spots, right? So we talk about the offensive line. We talk about receiver, both incredibly important because A, you've got to build in the trenches and B, you need to make sure that your young quarterback has what he needs to succeed. But then there are key elements of the defense, as we said, edge rusher and cornerback that are completely barren. They just signed Pierre Desir to a one-year deal. I think best case scenario, maybe he's a decent starter if he stays healthy. And then from there, you of course have Bless Austin and Arthur Millette, two guys who showed solid skills in starts last year in a couple of games, but you can't really count on them. So they need upgraded corner. Now, we don't think that Okuda is going to be on the board. We both agreed that if he is, the Jets have to jump on him. What about somebody like C.J. Henderson? Is he somebody that they could consider at the 11th pick if the offensive linemen are off the board or if they don't like Chase on? And then beyond that, are there any other corners that you think the Jets might have a shot at between rounds two and four? I think Fulton and Gladney probably go before the Jets would pick in the second round, but there are a couple of intriguing options here. 
Yeah, so Henderson isn't a player that I personally like at 11. I think some do. Uh, I'm not that high on him. I would prefer a player like Christian Fulton or a player like Jeff Gladney at 11 before I'd take Henderson there. And Fulton particularly, I'm high enough on him that I would take him top 15. But that, that, that I don't think that reflects how the NFL is going to approach it. So, to me, cornerback is a position with no Akuda. I'm going to pass on at 11. I'm going to try to get myself an impact player somewhere else. And I think round two is the, more so the sweet spot for corner. Asia Carroll out of Clemson, Damon Arnett out of Ohio State. Those two names are my favorite in terms of the day two guy. Both are polished technicians. Both have the requisite physical tools. Neither is a, a dominant physical player like you might get out of Noah Igbenogany out of Auburn, Trevon Diggs out of Alabama. But they both have the, the, the enough size, enough strength, enough speed, enough quickness to play uh, outside corner at the NFL level. And then technique-wise and especially ball skills and competitiveness-wise, I think they're both Really, really good when the ball's in the air. They're both physical players. Terrell's especially fluid. Arnett's especially competitive. So those are the two that I like to target on day two, really after those first eight or so names, right? So we talked about Okuda, Fulton, Henderson, Gladney, Igbenogany out of Auburn, Diggs out of Alabama, and then uh, Terrell out of Clemson, Arnett out of Ohio State. Really the class of the game. Uh, your Bryce Hall out of Virginia is a really likable player been hurt the past two seasons is he going to be able to be healthy at the nfl level jalen johnson who plays like a press corner but he's built like a slot corner so he's a bit of a difficult projection cameron dantzler who's super physical but 185 pounds and he's really stubby so you don't know what we're doing there troy pride amik robertson they're incomplete players if there's anybody i like as a as a developmental corner as a as a day three guy who could potentially start for you Michael Ojemudie out of Iowa's got really good eyes, really good instincts. He's a zone exclusive player right now. Hopefully, he can build him up into press man. Then Harrison Hand out of Bay- at a Temple, excuse me, he was at Baylor. Now he's back at Temple. Uh, really great ball production, good size. He's aggressive down the field. He's very competitive with wide receivers. Technically, he's not there yet, so he's going to take some time to develop. But he's not dissimilar Hand is to when Bless One Austin came out. Austin, I think, was. Uh, round six pick, so he's a little bit worse than a player overall, but Hand has, needs that time to, to grow into a consistent player. What about running back? The Jets need youth and speed there. They've got Le'Veon Bell, but they've got to be thinking about the future here. And as Joe Douglas said, they need speed all over the place. Anthony McFarlane Jr. is a player that I've looked at and I really like. I don't think the Jets are going to draft a running back on day one or two, but they could draft one on day three. Who are some options that you like there? Well, as a Trenton Cannon truther myself, I hope they don't draft anybody. Uh, I love Trenton Cannon coming out. I hope that he's great. Uh, acknowledging reality that he's probably just a returner. Uh, I think if we're talking day three juice, the name that immediately jumps to mind is Darrington Evans. Yeah, of Appalachian State ran a low 4-4. The combine potentially run a 4-3 uh, if you were to have a pro day. Evans is, uh, is a linear player. He doesn't change direction well. He's got a ton of build-up speed, so he doesn't really hit the brakes and then break guys off in space. But he's got good contact balance. He's got a huge open stride and an instantaneous burst. So if we're getting this guy moving on wide zone, moving on outside zone, and giving him one read and then put your foot in the ground, get up field and fly, he's custom built for that sort of a role. So I think that he is my favorite juice guy on day three. I do like Anthony McFarland out of Maryland, a fair bit young player. Coming juice, very undisciplined in his reads right now. He's not dissimilar to when Marlon Mack, the Indianapolis running back, came out of South Florida a couple years ago. And Antonio Goodson, half the time at running back, half the time at wide receiver. 6'2", 220, ran in the 4'3". He's an absolute tank. He's now, uh, he ran one concept in Memphis when he was in the backfield, right? He's a bouncing around gadget-style player. So if you want a, a consistent change of pace back for Le'Veon Bell, 
this is not him, not going to be in year one. But if you want that third down guy who can take a draw and make it explosive, take a screen, make it explosive, or just straight out run a, a seam route from the running back position, motion out, and then beat a linebacker in space on an option route, Gibson's built for that. So you're pass catching back, your returner, and then your guy with a ton of juice on some constraint plays, that's Antonio Gibson. So those are the names I like for day three juicy running backs. Benjamin, let's say you are Joe Douglas. You've got the 11th pick, and then you've got the 48th pick, and then you've got two picks in the third round, a pick in the fourth round. What would you do? What's your general strategy, and who are some of the players that you specifically, personally, would be looking to target with those picks? Yeah, I think that Joe Douglas, having the Ravens, a stint in Chicago, and then in Philadelphia, is going to understand we're going to continue to pour resources in the trenches, and that's how we're going to build this football team. I'm looking at offensive tackle at 11. And I think I'm going to be able to get one of the four, and I'm going to be happy with any one of the four. God forbid I don't get him. I'm going to figure out that chase and wide receiver conundrum that I wasn't willing to commit on earlier. Cause it's a tough question, but hopefully I'm taking off at the tackle early. Uh, when we circle there into day two, if I can get one of the day two edges that I like, uh, which is there's like there's not too many that I'm a fan of, but if I can get uh, Joshua Uche in the third round, if I can get a uh, uh, Curtis Weaver in the third round, a John Grenard out of Florida in the third round. I'm going to do that. This roster has been thirsting for edge rush for as long as I can remember. I cannot remember the last good pass rush. is John Abraham. Like, you mm-hmm. got to get somebody who can beat a tackle. Uh, so, so to me, I'm going to put resources there. I'm going to wait on the wide receiver room until day three, and then I'm going to make multiple picks. Uh, you know, We saw it with guys like Darius Slayton last year. You can get contributors on day three, so I'm going to wait for day three on wide receiver and just take whoever's left in that class, bring in a ton of bodies, have a camp competition hopefully grab corner on day two as well as I did with those edges. Uh, like I said, I have a couple of day two corners, especially round two guys that I really like, Damon Arnett and A.J. Terrell. So I'm, I'm focused on offensive tackle at 11. I'm going to pass on edge, hoping I can get one of the guys I like on day two. Like I said, it's a thin class, but I'm going to look to strike on one of those guys. Corner and wide receiver will be my, my secondary priorities as we move into day three. Benjamin Solak of the Draft Network, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. For everybody that isn't following your work, you should be. Why don't you go ahead and let them know how they can read what you're doing, listen to your podcasts, and what you're working on right now. Obviously, you've got a ton in the fire because of the draft, but what specifically do you have going on? Yeah, so uh, at the Draft Network on Twitter, thedraftnetwork.com spot. We have the uh, mock draft simulator, so you can choose to be Joe Douglas, run the Jets, draft against the computer, make your picks, trade your picks. If you have our TDN Premium subscription, also with TDN Premium, uh, you get access to contextualized quarterbacking, which is my uh, charting quarterback series on all the uh, draft-eligible quarterbacks. You get access to all of our draft guides, including our Jets-specific draft guide, all of our scouting reports on the site. I think we have reports on over 550 players, I think it is, in this class. Uh, we've got you know five or six reports on each of the top guys. So if you want a lot of opinions on one of the Jets' targets, you can get, them, get that as well. Uh, and yeah, I mean, as of right now, we're transitioning off free agency, fully pointing towards the draft. So it's going to be mock drafts, it's going to be big boards, it's going to be final publishes, and we're going to get ready for this thing. Make sure you're following Benjamin on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. Check out his work over at the Draft Network. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.